This morning we are going to conclude our series called The Blessed Home with part two of How to Make a Marriage Great. I heard that a while back Bill Gates decided he wanted to figure out what gender a computer should be, whether male or female. And so he, he told his, all of his people to come up with a recommendation. Well, the men and women did, did not agree. The women said that computers should be male, and here were the reasons. They said a computer is definitely masculine because the only way they get their attention is to turn them on. They have a lot of data, but they're still clueless. They're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. And as soon as you commit to one, you realize if you'd waited a little longer, you could have had a better model. <laughs> the men all said that computers are definitely female because no one but their maker understands their internal logic. And their native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everyone else. Even the smallest mistakes are stored permanently in long-term memory for later retrieval. Yeah, and as soon as you commit to one, you find yourself spending half of your paycheck on accessories for it. So, this series is about this truth that when we obey the Word of God, it brings the blessing of God on our homes. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Now, this is a spiritual truth for all of the Word of God and for every area of our life. But it certainly applies in our homes and to our marriages. Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. This is how you have a blessed home. Now, the last couple of weeks we talked about several scriptures that apply specifically to the marriage relationship. But today we're going to focus on three principles of scripture that apply really to all relationships, but they're so vital for the marriage. In fact, I think sometimes we just kind of miss this, that these principles of Scripture, if you're going to apply them anywhere in your life, it ought to be in your home, in your marriage. It ought to start there. For a marriage to be great, you have to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is a foundational principle. If you miss this one, you're building your marriage and your home on sand, and it will surely come down with a crash. No relationship can last without forgiveness. You know why? Because everybody messes up. Everybody makes mistakes. There's no perfect marriage because there's no perfect people. We all need forgiveness. You know, when you're in a close relationship, whether it's your spouse or somebody else, any kind of close relationship, sooner or later you get hurt because people make mistakes. And there's going to be the opportunity for you to either forgive or to become resentful and bitter. Forgiveness is the only way in a marriage that you can really put behind you the mistakes and the hurts of the past and move on to better days. It's the only way that you can really make your marriage great is if you can put the past behind. Sometimes in relationships, there are big mistakes. There are huge hurts, and 
We may feel like we can never get past those things, but I want to remind you that with God, all things are possible, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. And so we need to realize this morning that no matter how big those hurts were, that we can move past them with God's help. We can forgive. Sometimes it's not just a big thing that happens, though. Sometimes it's the little things, the daily things. Maybe it's a fault in your spouse. You know, they're this way all the time. It's just the way they are. Like, he's lazy, or she's so critical, and nothing's ever good enough. And here's the thing. We have to learn to forgive the daily things. I don't have any really good examples about forgiving Carmen. Uh, There's just not really much to forgive. But there is one thing that she does a lot that just really drives me crazy. And that is she hides my stuff. And, you know, I do a whole lot of projects around the house. I've always got 15 or so going and, you know, on the list to be done. And so I got this little 15-minute project, and this is kind of par for the course. I spend 45 minutes looking for my tools and the supplies that I need to do this 15-minute project. And, you know, I'm like, where did you put it? And she always says, well, how do you know I put it somewhere? And I say, because we both know if I had it, it would be right here in the middle of the floor. So you put it somewhere. (laughs) I forgive her. You know, I've gotten really good at finding things over the years. And, you know, she doesn't do it on purpose. I mean, she loses her own stuff all the time, too. You know, she's always looking for her keys, her phone, her checkbook, whatever. I mean... Me being the great husband that I am, I help her find her stuff. It happened just the other day. You know, she lost something. I don't remember what it was. It happened so often I can't keep up. But she lost something, and in just a few minutes, I found it for her. And she says, sweetheart, I'm sorry that you are always having to find stuff for me. I said, that's all right. I'm a finder, and you're a loser. (laughs) Now, if you're wondering, this conversation actually did happen. And fortunately, she laughed more than y'all did, so. And she forgives me for my warped sense of humor. She forgives me for using her as a sermon illustration. You got to have forgiveness. My, uh, well, her, her forgetting stuff has really been a blessing in our marriage because she forgets so much of the stupid things that I've done over the years, but the principle of forgiveness is so much a part of the teachings of Jesus. I mean, if you read the Bible, if you read the the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus, you cannot get around this. In fact, Jesus says, if we don't forgive, then neither will our Heavenly Father forgive us. He he makes it so strong. He tells tells several parables about it to make the point that we have to forgive. And so, in the marriage relationship, how can we possibly think we can get around this? It is not an option. We have to forgive our spouse. It's even in the Lord's Prayer. He's taught us to pray this way, that we ask for forgiveness. We say, 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the way that we're supposed to pray. But for every follower of Jesus, it can't be an option. This is such an important thing for your marriage is that you have to forgive. And if you don't forgive your spouse, there's something between you and God. Because He says, forgive. And until you forgive, there's something that's not right between you and God. Y'all got really quiet, but it's right and it's true. You know, sometimes it's easier to forgive a person that you're never, ever going to see again because, you know, you just put it behind you. you, So, yeah, I forgive them. It's easier to forgive that person sometimes than the person that you live with because it's a daily thing. And as I said a minute ago, Jesus taught us to pray this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we daily need God's forgiveness. Amen? And so, guess what? Daily, we need also to forgive our spouse. Jesus said that we're to forgive 70 times 7. That doesn't mean that you count up to 490 times and now you don't have to anymore. No, you're not supposed to keep any record of wrongs. And Jesus was using that to tell us that there is no limit to our forgiveness, however many times it takes, however many times they did that stupid thing or they wronged you. Guess what? You need to forgive them. Unforgiveness will cripple a marriage and keep it from ever getting better. If you want your marriage to great, to be great, you got to forgive. That's the way that you continue to move forward, continue to grow. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says this, and I, wanna, I want you to think about these verses in the context of the marriage relationship. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. See, in our marriage, if we're practicing kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering and bearing with one another, it's not so hard to forgive. He says, forgive. And then he says, if anyone has a complaint... Do you have a complaint about your wife or your husband? Some of you are ready to make a list. He says, as Christ forgave you, you must do also. Some people go to work and they complain about their wife. They say, she nags me. She spends all my money. Some wives complain about their husband. He raises his voice to me. He throws his clothes on the floor. He never remembers our anniversary. But the scripture makes it clear. If we have a complaint about someone, your spouse is someone. See, if we're going to apply these principles, if we're going to really live this out, it ought to start in the home and the relationships that are most important. You have a complaint, what are you supposed to do about it? Forgive them. That's what it said. Y'all see it. It's still up there. Oh, wow. Yeah. If any has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do also. Got a complaint? 
Here's what you do with it. Forgive them. Just decide you're going to forgive them. How as Christ forgave you and he forgives you every day, right? What if you messed up 10 times today? Christ will forgive you. What if your spouse messed up 10 times today? You're going to forgive them. You don't have, you know, you're not going to have any more complaint because you're going to forgive them. So often when there's unforgiveness in a relationship, it falls into a negative cycle where one feels wronged, and instead of forgiving, they get back at them through hurtful behavior. They do something back. They feel totally justified. Well, they did that to me, so now I'm going to be this way, or I'm going to act this way. Well, they're doing that, so I'm going to act this way. And it just becomes this negative cycle that can destroy the relationship. The only way to stop that is to forgive. One woman decided to divorce her husband, and she wrote an article that was published in Christianity Today, She wrote that with a tear-stained, angry face, I walked into my mom's kitchen, and she held the baby while I sobbed my declaration of independence. She said, when I was done, mom said that her and dad would help me. I was comforted to know they would be there for me. But mom said, before you leave, Bill, I have one task for you to complete. She took a sheet of paper and a pen. She put the paper on the kitchen table in front of her. She drew a line down the middle of it, and she said, I want you to list out all of Bill's negative behavior, all of the hurtful things that he does and annoying habits. And so she began to list out all of Bill's faults and the things that bugged her so much. She said, he never picks his clothes up off the floor. He doesn't tell me when he's going to go outside. He falls asleep in church. He has embarrassing, nasty habits like belching at the dinner table. He never buys me any nice presents. He refuses to match his clothes. He's tight with money. He won't help with housework. He doesn't talk to me. The list just went on and on until she got to the bottom. And the, the whole time she was assuming that her mom was going to have her go back and write Bill's good qualities on the other side of the paper. But instead, her mom said, now I want you to write on the other side your response to each of those things. Well, that was a lot more difficult than what she thought it was going to be. But she began to write out all those things. I'd pout, I'd cry, I'd get angry, I'd be embarrassed to be with him. I'd act like a martyr and wish I'd married somebody else. I'd give him the silent treatment. I'd think I was too good for him, and on and on the list went. When she was done, her mom took the sheet of paper. She got a pair of scissors. She cut the paper in half, and she threw away the side of the list with all of Bill's negative uh, behaviors. And instead, she hands her her own reactions, her own behaviors, and she says, now, I want you to take this list home, and I want you to go over it and pray about it, and then, if you still want to divorce Bill, we'll help you as much as we can. So she goes home, and she has this list, and she said that as she began to read over the list and, and to pray about it, she said that the behaviors were so petty and shameful and destructive 
She ended up spending hours asking God to forgive her for the way that she had been acting. Because without Bill's negative behaviors to balance out what she had done, her list just looked horrible. By the time she was done, she made up her mind. Bill was not this horrible person. He wasn't immoral. He was a good man. He had flaws. He wasn't perfect. But he was a good man, and she didn't want to divorce him. She goes on in her article and talks about how that she'd like to say that Bill changed. She said he didn't really. She said, but she changed. And the way that she reacted from then on was different. You see, we need to realize this, that before God, we will all answer for ourselves, not for somebody else. We'll answer for our own behavior. What they did is their problem. What we do is our problem. And we need to understand this, that you see so often this is the way it happens in a marriage relationship. When one does this, and so I do that, and and they feel justified about it, you know what that means? You're not forgiving them. There's a debt, and you're making them pay. For a marriage to be great, you got to forgive. If you want it to get better, you have to forgive. Bitterness and resentment will build a wall. The only way to tear it down is to forgive. With forgiveness, you can grow closer. Without it, every mistake, every hurt, will drive a wedge between you. See, without forgiveness, we end up carrying baggage. Forgiveness is the only way for you to get rid of the past hurts. You got to let it go. You got to turn it over to God. And some people, I, I often wonder, and just with heartache, I... question, how can couples who have been married for 25 or 30 years end up getting a divorce? But this is one of the ways that that happens. They're carrying baggage for 25 years. There's been this load of debt that has built up and built up. And I'm telling you that even if you've been married a long time, you've got you to forgive and let those things go. Even if it was big, you've got to forgive and let those things go. That's the only way that your marriage can truly be great is if you forgive. So how do you do that? Sometimes it can just seem like an impossible task, but first, you, you have to choose to do it. You have to be willing to forgive. You do it in obedience to the Lord Jesus. You do it for your own sake. You do it for the sake of your marriage. You choose to do it. I do want to make one clarification this morning, and this is complicated, but I still need to say it. When Scripture says to bear with one another and forgive one another, I don't believe that that means that you are to accept abuse or stay in an abusive relationship. And I know somebody can take that and use that as an excuse for unforgiveness But let me just conclude that with this. Even if the marriage ends, you still have to forgive them. 
So you choose to forgive. Second, you pray and ask for God's help. All things are possible with God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the example and He's the expert on forgiveness. Third, you turn it over to God. You give the wrongs done to you, to the Lord. Give Him the hurt, the disappointment, the burden of it. You turn it over to Him. And fourth, you stop rehearsing the wrongs. So if you're really going to get victory and be able to truly forgive... You can't keep going over the memory of those wrongs. Now, you can't just wipe it away from all recollection, but you can make up your mind, I'm not going to replay that anymore. See, some people, they just, they just replay it, and they think about it, and sometimes they even talk about it again, and it, they, they're just reliving it. And in their soul, they feel the same hurt, the same emotion, sometimes the same anger that they did. Or something that happened last year, or 10 years, or 20 years ago you got to stop rehearsing it if you're going to forgive. Forgiveness is so important that the next two principles I'm going to share with you, they won't really matter, they won't really work without forgiveness. To have a great marriage, you have to have healthy communication. Now, you won't find the word communication in the Scripture except for a few times in the King James Version, but there are hundreds of Scriptures that talk about how important our words are and the great impact that our words have. One of those is Proverbs 18.21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words have the power to destroy your marriage. And they also have the power to make it great. Such power in the things that we say. So it's so important that we have healthy communication. Marriage is about two becoming one. You can't really be one with somebody if you don't really know them. I mean, you're doing life together. You got to know each other's dreams and passions and desires. You got to know each other's hurts and disappointments and frustrations. The only way to do that is, to, is through healthy communication. I guess you could, some people, I think, try to just figure it out on trial and error. It's mostly error, though. It's so much better if you have healthy communication and you're able to talk about right. things. The Dallas Morning News reported that the average couple that's been married 10 years spends 37 minutes a week in meaningful conversation. Wow. Relationships are built by communication. And I'm telling you, if you're going to have a strong relationship, a strong marriage, you're going to have to have some healthy communication. You need some quality time. Now, you can have a meaningful conversation when you're driving down the road together. You can have meaningful conversation when you're, you know, finally all alone at night and you have a few minutes of quiet away from the kids. You can have some meaningful conversation at the dinner table. Wherever you can, however you can, you got to have that time where you talk. And it can't just be survival talk. Survival talk is when you're talking about paying the bills and taking care of the kids and who's responsible for what. That's just communication you got to do to keep the home going. But this is talking about meaningful conversation talking about your relationship and what's going on with you and your day and what's going on with them. Marriage counselors, not me, not the scripture, but I'm just telling you, marriage counselors say that couples need an hour a day of meaningful conversation. Whoa, an hour a day? 
that's crazy. Who's got time for that? Well, let me just tell you. Most of us think nothing of having an hour a day for TV. It is amazing that with the progress of modern technology, communication, healthy communication in the marriage has just declined. I mean, people don't think anything about watching an hour of TV. That would be super conservative. One hour, I mean, you watch a one-hour show, it goes by just like that. And for a generation or maybe two, I think the TV was the main enemy of healthy communication in the home. Now, it's probably been, that top spot has probably been bumped off by the Internet where people spend so much time surfing the Internet playing games online, reading or talking on social media, on and on and on, looking at pornography. You got time for meaningful conversation with your spouse. It's kind of, you know, we talk about those things when we talk about having a devotional life. This is so important that you have that time with your spouse. It's more important than all that other stuff. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about making it great. It's more important than all that other stuff. And that's part of the problem. You know, one of the reasons that people say they don't have that much communication, they just say they're busy. But the issue is, is they're allowing urgent things. It's things that that seem to be important to take the place of things that are truly important. And what's more important than your relationship with your spouse? Some say they don't communicate because they have different interests. So we talked about being one and how you need to share your interests. Even if you don't do them together, you can talk about them. I mean, I go out and I cut firewood, and when I come in, I tell Carmen about my adventures and conquest, and she acts impressed. You don't have to do everything together, but you need to talk about it. Some don't communicate because they end up fighting. They they don't cope with problems and their conversations turn into fights. And so they just decide, you know what, it's better to not talk. But to have a good relationship, I'm telling you, you have to have healthy communication. Now, some people have a lot of communication, but it's not healthy. I mean, they're communicating. Even the neighbors can hear them communicating. You know, Carmen and I woke up one Sunday morning at 4 a.m. to the sound of some neighbors yelling out in their driveway. I think one of them might have just got home. And Carmen said, you know, this sounds like the end of a marriage. But that's how powerful your words can be. I mean, in one conversation, a marriage can end. need to realize how important it is to have healthy communication. Lots of communication isn't necessarily healthy. And I I just want to say this. The last thing you need to do after hearing this message is go home and decide you're going to hash out all of your problems and disagreements. No. Instead, you need to see this as something you want to work on by applying the principles of Scripture to your relationship. So here's some principles from the Word of God about communication. James 1.19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Three powerful principles about communication. Be quick to hear. Hearing isn't the same thing as listening. 
If you don't listen, resentment will build. Some husbands say, well, why should I listen? She's just saying the same thing she said 4,000 times. Listen, listen. If your wife has said something 4,000 times, you're not listening. I mean, you might be hearing what she's saying, but you're not really listening. You've got a problem in your marriage, and resentment is building. I mean, somewhere around the hundredth time, you ought to be sitting down and saying, well, let's talk about this. Be quick to listen. Tune in. Try to understand and show that you care. Next, be slow to speak. So many marriages have been destroyed by the wrong word, so you've got to think before you speak. Remember this, that your relationship is more important than you making your point or proving you're right. The Scripture also tells us to bridle our tongue. you got to keep it reined in. There's this attitude in a culture. It's kind of something that's real popular. And I've had people tell me I'm kind of this way. Tell it like it is. Just tell it like it is. I just, you know, whatever comes to my mind, I just say it. I just tell it like it is. Now, I get the sentiment behind that. That everybody likes it, you know, we're going to be a straight shooter. You know, we're not going to hedge. We're not going to feed somebody a line of baloney. I agree with that. But let me tell you something. A lot of the time, you need to stop and think before you say something to your spouse. That old attitude of the world, tell it like it is. Remember, the world's way ain't working. There are times when you need to bite your tongue and don't say it. I mean, just because you think something, that don't mean you're supposed to say it. And there are times when you've got to figure out a better way to say it. I didn't say not to say it, but I said there's times when you need to stop and think about how you say something and how it's going to come across. Be slow to speak. Don't just blurt something out. Oh my goodness, so much harm is, and damage is done to relationships because somebody wasn't careful about what they were saying. Anger. Be slow to wrath. Anger is a communication destroyer. It can consequently be a relationship destroyer. When you're talking with your spouse and you're upset, here's what you need to do. Calm down. Just calm down. If you're going to talk with your spouse and you're all mad and angry, there's that temptation that you allow it to control you, and that's when you can say things that you're going to regret later. Anybody ever do that? How long has it been for you since you regretted what you said? Well, I did it this morning. No, not to my wife. It was to my son. 
I said, I'm sorry. But here's the thing. You see, if we'll, if we'll just stop and think about what we're going to say instead of allowing emotion to, to control us, we can avoid so much heartache and trouble in our marriage. You've got to stop and think, but watch out for anger. He says, be slow to wrath. The Bible also says, be angry and sin not. See, even if you've got good cause to be angry, you need to be careful that you don't do wrong in your anger. When you disagree about something, anger is never the answer. It just causes more problems, more hurt. Good communication, trying to understand one another, being willing to give of yourself. I'm telling you, those things will help you put the disagreements behind you. And always use your words to build up, not to tear down. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word, King James here says communication, proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What if we applied this in our relationship? I'm not going to say anything to my wife that's going to tear down, but only what will edify, only what will build her up, only what will minister grace to her. Wow. Here's a good way to do that. And this is the last point. To make your marriage great, you use appreciation. Now, this may not sound like a big deal, but I'm telling you this will revolutionize your marriage. This is such a powerful principle to make your marriage great. It will change your attitude, and it'll change how happy you are in your marriage. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In your marriage, it is the will of God for you to give thanks. Amen? Now, we're talking about giving thanks to God. Yes, you should be giving thanks to God for your spouse. Absolutely. We need to understand this, though. We also need to be thankful for other people. We need to appreciate them. You need to appreciate your spouse. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that in the last days, people will be ungrateful. And we are living in that generation. It's human nature, but it is just such an attitude in our culture that people are so ungrateful. The golden rule, Jesus said this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let me tell you something about everybody. Everybody likes to be appreciated. I mean, when you work hard, when you go out of your way to help somebody or do something, even the things that you do every day, it's nice when somebody appreciates you. Your spouse likes to be appreciated. Now, we're going to kind of get to the heart of this and what the real issue is here. And I just... I just want to tell you, this is so powerful if you really get a hold of this, but this can make the difference in your marriage. You know, let me just explain this first. When property appreciates, that means it goes up in value. And when you appreciate your spouse, you're lifting their value. When we are unappreciative, ungrateful, we devalue our spouse. 
Ungratefulness in a relationship is kind of like termites to a house. You know, it's just little bitty bugs. You don't really see them. You don't see the damage for a long time. But eventually, those termites are going to bring down the value of that house. And ungratefulness, being unappreciative, it may seem like a little thing, but I'm telling you, over the time, over time, it's going to bring down the value of your spouse. To have a healthy relationship, you got to appreciate. The more you appreciate your spouse, the happier you're going to be with them. You'll see. A lot of couples demand from one another. What a bad way to do marriage. Now, they don't usually say demand. Instead, they say expect. I mean, that's just more, you know, respectable. I'm not going to demand. I expect. I expect my husband to this and this and this. I expect my wife to do this and this and this. I don't appreciate it. I expect it. That attitude leaves you beat down, discouraged, frustrated, and I'm telling you, it usually ends up developing resentment. I'm so thankful that my wife cooks dinner for me. Some men, if their wives don't work outside the home, they're like, I expect my wife to have dinner ready. No, no. I'm thankful that my wife cooks dinner for me. Most of the time, almost every night, she cooks dinner for for me. It doesn't matter if she cooks me a piece of toast, I'm going to say thank you. If she fixes me a sandwich, I'm going to say thank you. If she fixes me a nice dinner, I'm going to say thank you, darling. I mean, I almost never, almost never, I I probably miss it sometimes, almost never fail to say thank you for fixing me dinner. I learned this a long time ago. I learned this when I was a kid, and I went to my grandparents' house, and my grandmother was a great cook, loved her food, and I would, you know, always stuff myself. And I remember at least one or two occasions when I finished my meal, and I'm sitting there at the table, and my granddaddy says to me, he said, did you like that supper? Was that good? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, tell your grandmother. I said, that was good, grandmother. Thank you. He said, now carry your plate over to the sink. I said, yes, sir little side sermon here. Some of you parents, your grandparents, you need to quit this attitude of the world that it's my job to spoil my grandkids. (laughs) You need to decide you're going to be building character and morals and values into your grandkids. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I still remember those things my granddaddy taught me. And I just want to tell you, it matters when you appreciate, when you're thankful If you want more of something, appreciate it. That's how you get more. Appreciate it. I want to tell you that works with the Lord. I mean, when God blesses you and you're ungrateful, how do you get more? Appreciate it. It's the same way with your spouse. If you want your husband to take you out to eat more often, You want him to buy you flowers more often? You let him know how much you appreciate it. Now, when I take Carmen out to eat, she always says, thank you. Now, listen, I know we sound like this old traditional couple. I understand, but I tell her, I say, now, Carmen, 
you work so hard and you're so busy so much of the time, we can go out to eat anytime you want. And she still cooks for me almost every night. But I tell her, we can afford it now. Couldn't always. We can afford it now. If you want to go out to eat anytime, we'll go out to eat. And yet, when we go out to eat, she will still always say thank you. What you appreciate, you get more of. One guy, he made it a habit that every Valentine's Day, he would buy his wife candy and a Valentine's card. And then the next day, he would buy his wife flowers and a thank you card. Okay, just three of you got that. The rest of you go home and work on it. I'll help you. If you want more of something, you appreciate it. All right, moving on. Sometimes it's just easy for us to take those who are closest to us for granted. And we just don't see the things that they do every day as something that we should appreciate. We just expect it instead. I mean, you know, we understand this about the Lord, how there's things like the sun came up today, amen? God gave us another day. Were you thankful? You were able to walk into church today. Were you thankful? There's so many things that we just kind of take for granted. And that in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, is such a huge negative. Oh, you've got to turn that around. You've got to start appreciating the things they do every single day. Let me, let me just give you a few examples. Is it husband or wife? Listen, when they go to work, appreciate it. Let me tell you something. Some don't. When they cook dinner, appreciate it. Some don't. When they clean the house or they do the laundry, appreciate it. Some don't. When they make the yard look nice, appreciate it. Some don't. On and on and on the list goes. Your spouse does things all the time. You can either expect it or you can appreciate it. If you have that old expect it mentality, you are miserable. I expect this, I expect that. You're not only miserable, you're making your spouse miserable. But you start appreciating it. You start being thankful. Let me tell you something about thankful people. They're happy. But when you appreciate your spouse, you end up being happy with your spouse. Carmen does so many things for me all the time, but yesterday morning, man, I woke up pretty early. She's still sleeping. I go into the coffee pot, and here I am. I feel like I got run over by a truck. And the coffee's not made. Five miserable minutes making coffee. But it always reminds me and makes me appreciate all those other days I get up and the coffee's already fixed. I'm just telling you, a lot of times we don't appreciate something unless we don't have it. You, you need to realize there's a thousand things to appreciate about your spouse. Can you find something to complain about? Forgive it but so many things that you could be appreciative for. Instead of expecting, start appreciating. Here's a sign you're taking your spouse for granted. You find it easier to be nice to strangers than you do your own spouse. It's amazing to me how sometimes we can treat people we don't know with more respect and more gratefulness than 
those who mean the most to us. I mean, you know, when we're little kids, it's kind of like this, okay, I can, I can beat up on my little brother, but if you touch him, you're in trouble. And when you get to be an adult, here's the adult version of that. I can yell at my wife, but if you yell at my wife, we're going to have a problem. This is really weird to me, how that some men expect strangers to, speak, to, to treat their wives better than they do. That's a problem. I don't want nobody talking to my wife nicer than I do. We're going to have a problem. You know what I'm saying? It's just really weird. You see, it shows how we take for granted instead of appreciating. If you're not treating them right, you're taking them for granted. Appreciation is more than just saying thank you. No, it's something that you show in your life. One of the reasons that people don't appreciate their spouse is unreasonable expectations. I want to give you a couple of examples. You expect the house to always be clean and dinner ready, your wife to look like a million bucks. You expect your husband to make a lot of money but spend lots of time with you and the kids and never come home tired or grumpy. That's one of the reasons people always think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. They're unreasonable expectations. Here's some, I'm going to change this from unreasonable to unrealistic expectation. You read romance novels and you watch chick flicks and it upsets you that your husband is not like one of those guys. Those guys are a fantasy created in some woman's mind. That's not even real. watching some movie with the music playing in the background. Why isn't it like that in my home? That's unrealistic. And you know, you know what's even worse? The husband that sees a billboard with a beautiful model on this billboard. He's watching some TV show and there's a beer ad with these bikini clad women and he's like, why can't my wife look like that? Well, first of all, your gut's hanging over your belt, but Second of all, that's not real. What's even worse is a man comparing his wife to some pornography that he watched online. Unrealistic expectations. But here's the thing. Instead of expecting, appreciate. Have healthy communication. And start here, forgive. Stand with me. We're going to pray like for our prayer partners to come.